podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the weekender. It's the Anfield wrap. I'm Neil Atkinson. And with me, I've got Lizzie Doyle, Andy Heaton and John Gibbons for you this week. Because it's been a slowish week and because the big piece of Liverpool news has been the extension of the Anfield road stand. We sent Andy Heaton off to Anfield uh, to open the show to find out what he could. Uh, Here's everything you need from Andy and we'll be back in a minute or two to have a big chat about it. Uh, joined by Andy Hughes, CEO of Liverpool Football Club at the second stage of consultation for the new Anfield Road expansion. Andy, thanks for inviting us down. Um, first off, how are you? How, what are you feeling around the consultation? You pleased with how it's going? Yeah, so the first round went really well. We had a really good turnout to the drop-in sessions. We had a lot of people on match day, and the vast majority of that feedback was really positive. So, ninety-three percent of uh, feedback was in support of the scheme. So, that, that's a great start. So. So the big, I mean, the big takeaway. There's loads of little changes. All of them seem fairly possible. The big, the big takeaway is, is the the plan around the, the road, the Anfield Anfield roads now remaining in place if maybe reconfigured a little bit after consultation with the local community. Yeah. So uh, there was some negative feedback in the first round, and uh, probably as expected, it was around the partial road closure at the back of Anfield Road stand. Uh, so we've worked long and hard at trying to find a solution to that. And I think we have found one. So I think we have just just managed to figure out that there's uh, enough room around the back of the stand without encroaching into Stanley Car Park to divert the road around the back. Um, so we've got images of that and the plans for that in this consultation. So hopefully we'll we'll see a positive response to that over the next week. And the... That being including the plans has had minimal, very, very slight impact on the actual original design for the new stand. Yeah, it's much less than uh, than I thought it would be. Um, you know, it, it's more a space uh, available problem. So we've worked long and hard at the exact internal space requirements on the ground floor. Uh, so we've managed to just bring the, the building in only very slightly, but we've tweaked it in which has given us just enough room to to move the road behind. And look, the public round space, we're spending a lot of money on that anyway. Um, in my view, it looks great, but also it needs to be able to take a truck, an ambulance, whatever. And um, so actually converting that into a private road is, is not significantly different. And what what's clear from, uh, uh, with today, that with the pictures have come out today, the Anfield Road stand, it's not actually a rebuild, it's more an extension. So we'll be going into detail a little bit. That's all lower tier of the Anfield Road is going to remain if, but refurbished a little bit. Yeah, so we will leave Anfield Road stand as it is during the build process. We'll build around the back, over the top, build a new roof. And then in the last close season, uh, we will then take off the old roof, um, take off the old upper terrace, knit the two buildings together. Very similar to what we did with the main stand build. So like the main stand as well, you'd expect them very minimal, if any changes in capacity during the build process. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the work we've done today would suggest there'll be an absolute minimum number of seat loss for, for match days, which is great news. But obviously, there's a bit more work to do yet, but it does look possible. So. And a little bit more detail. You said in the, in the, the first meeting, there was going to be at about 7,000 extra seats, and you were hoping that the majority of them would be general admission tickets. Been a little bit more flesh on the bones. Now you're looking roughly at 5,200 general admission with, say, 1,800, more like a sports lounge type offering. Yeah, that's correct. So the the numbers overall haven't changed. What we've probably done most work on since we last spoke is the internal configuration. And uh, we have settled on 5,200 extra GA seats. 
which is more than uh, was in the original outline planning application for Anfield Road, uh, which was four and a half thousand incremental. So I'm pleased we managed to get that number up. Um, but we've also got a that sports bar lounge in there as well. Just briefly, two more questions. I've read, read with interest about uh, the, the work that the club have done with acoustics and lighting engineers, because we all talk about the atmosphere at Anfield. Yeah. How much of a consideration has that been in the, in the, in the planning process? We haven't done that work yet, but we will do. So obviously we did that work on the main stand. It's hugely important. We'll do it again on this stand, but you know, we're still in design phase. So it's just a little bit early yet. So, but it is a, it is a consideration that's very much at the forefront of the project. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we will do that. Yeah. And just to, to finish off here, I'm looking at the time. I was quite surprised when I walked in today. It's a fairly aggressive timeline to getting this job done and the stand open. Yeah, it is. We'd like to go into a planning application late March, um, hopefully a determination late summer, which would allow us to commence build towards the end of this year, which would get us through to completion in 22. But that is dependent on quite a number of things. It's reaching agreement with a local community. Uh, it's getting through that planning process. And, you know, there, there can be some tweaks through that planning process that might change the timeline. And also it still needs to remain financially viable. So that's a draft at the moment. Obviously it could change, but our target is summer 22. Brilliant. Andy, Andy Hughes, thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks to Andy there. And Andy's here with us in the room. Before I go over to him, John, anything that makes the ground bigger is good news in the first place. I think that's worth remembering, worth focusing on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's worth remembering as well just what an impact that main stand development made, you know, in terms of, I don't think we've lost since it got built, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, in terms of the, the atmosphere, in terms of, you know, when you add these people, a lot of the times it's people who've been struggling to get tickets or have been waiting a long time either for the season to get or just, you know, and then suddenly they're there and they're really excited and, and that gets your excitement going a bit even, you know. You know, it's sort of the most the most cynical of main stand members. You know, and so it's so new energy is good in the ground, and I'm sure there'll be lots of debate over. Um, I mean, obviously they've announced the split on on how many uh, will be general sale tickets, if you like, and, and how many will be uh, corporate, uh, and it's it's a pretty good split. Um, I, I would argue, but obviously within that general sale, it becomes a question of well, what goes to season ticket holders? Uh, what what will go to the size of the season ticket waiting list, and what will go, you know, more for kind of match by match sale, and then if match by match by match sale will will we extend the ones for the old postcodes and things like that? So so debates will go, and and there's times to do that, and there's there's, there's working groups that Liverpool have set up with supporters to kind of work these things out, uh, if you like. But but for now, as you say, it's just it's it's seven more thousand people who'll be able to watch Liverpool week by week. And that's a good thing both for those individuals, but also I would say for the atmosphere, for the players who were on the pitch, and also for the status of the club, I think, because you know, uh, you look at around the biggest clubs in Europe of which Liverpool are one and almost all of them have got a bigger stadium than Liverpool. And I think, you know, looking to correct that's a good thing. Anfield grows and grows in this context, Lizzie. I think it's it's impressive. It's also, as John says, it's framing us as what we are, uh, which is one of the biggest clubs in Europe. That The capacity should only be going one way, but also simultaneously credit to the ownership, I'd say, around the idea that this, the, the commitment to Anfield and the fact that the commitment to Anfield hasn't just stopped at the main stand. It's continued with this. People have been pushing and pushing for it. It's happening. Yeah, it's it's really good news. And to be honest, it's it's welcomed and it feels a little bit overdue. I know we don't really know planning permissions and we're not working for the council, but it feels like we've been sort of banging our heads against a brick wall about this for a while. And it is great to see because 
Everyone loves Anfield. Nobody wants to move away from it. So there was only one area that you could expand and it was the Annie Road. So the fact that I really like what John's just said there about uh, how many there is on general admission, we we could all dream and hope that all 7,000 would be, but it's not the case. So to to put that many as general admission is good. It is really good. Um, and and I'm like you, the, the main stand I, I think has been brilliant for, for Anfield. I think especially the stuff that they've done with like the £9 tickets. Um, there was just so much more access to the ground. So I, I'm really happy with it. I think the plans look great. I think even stuff like the area around it looks really nice as well because that's also important. I think as long as they're staying true to the community and stuff, which is why they're doing all these meetings where people can go along and give the thoughts and opinions, um, it's only going to be a really, really good thing for the area and for the city as well. Andy, the... Next part of this is one of the things I always remember uh, from the from the the period where Manchester United were dominant in English football. Is it felt like every single time you went to Old Trafford, work was being done or a new stand had just been opened and it just got a bit bigger. And I'm intrigued by this in the context of of us right now that you know, and it felt like that was driven a lot by Ferguson by what was going on by the success that was around. You know, that capacity grew and grew and grew in the 90s into 2006, with where I think it was in 2005 six where there was an increase of another 8,000 seats at that stage. That's the, you know, there's there's little you feel as though we've got left to learn from Manchester United as a football club, but that could well be one of those things that when you when people want to see you, add more seats. I think the most encouraging thing is that they're not limiting their ambition with it. Um, in, so, in so much as the original live plan and permission they got for the Anfield Road, they let that expire because they suddenly thought, I oh, know that they, they, there was a couple of suggestions, oh, they're not going to do the Annie Road, they're not going to do the Annie Road. But I haven't seen that the... the Benefits of the main stand, both financially and and as John says, to the ground where you get a new blood in. Because I, I jokingly refer to it as the moan stand for years and years. Yeah, now it's banging. Isn't yeah, it? it's banging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, but it's a good point. It's a new yeah, blood yeah. kind of spares everyone on, yeah. and they, and then um, you know they're, they're not limiting what what they're doing. They're not. I mean, they're not ruling out further expansion, but they're not saying implicitly they will do. But you get a sense that if this goes well as well, you could look at other options. And we're in a different landscape as well, though. I mean, I think you go back. You mentioned Man United, but I think. The, the, the line was it was very hard to expand Anfield and I think there's been to give credit to Liverpool City Council there's been a bit of will on their side as well to kind of ease that because I know there's been feasibility studies in the past um, no it was good to see uh, again I think it's a, I agree with John and Lizzie it's, it's a fair as fair a split as you can get in between in between GA and corporate because you know one hand's always got to wash the other to a certain extent uh, the other key thing from it is that the Anfield Road will remain now they're not going to be shutting the road. Um, mm-hmm. They'll be reconfiguring it a little bit, but that's going to stay in. You get the feeling that oh, they're a lot more engaged with the community. There was times in the past where you thought that it was like a tick box. You know, we'll have these consultations. This is what we're going to do. And we're just going to try and force it through anyway. Whereas they've gone away. They've listened. They've come back. I'm more power to them. Um, I mean, the consultations aren't going, it should be yeah. said. So there's stuff going on. Uh, today is this club, I was saying yesterday, and also Monday. So if people do live in the area and listen to this and, and haven't felt that they've had the opportunity to have to say, yeah, that, that's ongoing. You, you can go to, I guess, the cop bar, is it, on yes. Monday? Uh, between um, 12 and 8. Check that. <laughs> uh, Gibbo said you were here too late. <laughs> um, but that, the consultations ongoing. Sorry to jump in on this. No, no, it's absolutely fine. I mean, one thing from the imagery uh, just stands out for me I remember going to I felt like I've been referencing a lot lately when we went to uh, with me, when me and John went to Munich a couple of years ago and then last year you see the Allianz just stood out mm. with, with Anfield now the imagery you look from Stanley Park and there's this, this behemoth of a stadium I mean you, you, you get the train now when you, you go you, you're on Sandals you can see the main stand there 
and it it does give you this sense of ambition and the, the club's kind of getting to where it should be. And, you know, it's great, and especially in, we're living in an era now where you don't necessarily have to expand to get your revenue in because TV re- revenue dominates so much percentage yeah. of a club's income. Um, and it, it does feel like there is, a, all right, fair enough, it may put value on the club and all that stuff, but it's been done with, with, with the right intentions, I would say, as well. So, yeah, more power to them. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Really aggressive on the timeline, though. I think I said that in the interview. Twenty twenty two is ambitious. It is ambitious, yeah. And it's good that they are ambitious. And uh, uh, and also the sorry, just like sorry to, yeah. but like the main stand as well. Know what the the capacities are going to be reduced during the build. I only realised the other day actually that the the the, the lower tier in the Annie Road is going to be the same. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah, they're literally leaving that in there and then just building around it. So it'll be very very similar to the uh, the main stand build. Yeah, great. Excellent stuff uh, across the board. Uh, thanks to Andy for going down uh, and looking at that at Anfield. Hopefully you enjoyed that, that little insight into that. Listen, we're going to talk after 7 o'clock about the Norwich game, but uh, at the weekend, uh, John Gibbons and I and a couple of others will be doing a Hot Mic, um, which is a new app where basically we talk uh, about the match, we do commentary, and through Hot Mic, you can sync your television feed to our feed and you can have us do the commentary. We've enjoyed them so far, haven't we? Yeah, they've been a good laugh. Yeah, I think we've been surprisingly good at them, personally. <laughs> our, our personal expectations were low uh, we have surpassed but, I, think, I think it's all in the production to be honest <laughs> but no it's been good fun and uh, people have enjoyed them and so you can listen around the world um, so it's whatever it is that you're watching if you'd rather have us commentate than whoever your uh, your sort of regional commentators are it's easy to do it syncs up with your telly so we, we get in sync with with the action so there's not sort of you know the delay where we're, we're giving everything away we've said he's, we've said someone scored and they haven't yet yep. um, you know which is good so no spoilers uh, from me or Neil uh, but yeah it, it's good fun and yeah, we've been getting other people involved and it's been a laugh. Yeah, get involved this weekend. Uh, hotmic.io, uh, that's the the letter I and then the letter O, uh, after one another, uh, to find out more about it. Download it. When you do download it, tell them at any point the Anfield Rap sent you. Just Anfield Rap. Anfield Rap, not yeah. there. So Anfield Rap is the is the key code to, to put in. Uh, give us a follow. And then from there, whenever we do one, you'll get a notification. And share it as well amongst your friends. Uh, share it out and let people know that we're doing it. Uh, so coming up, we've got Molly Taylor talking about her play Raw, the Everyman. Then we'll have Michael Bailey from The Athletic talking about Norwich then they'll be back to us talking about Norwich City can't wait there was a bit of controversy this week uh, on social media around the Anfield Rap due to some comments Neil Jones made on the Overview show so I gave Neil a shout gave him a call and uh, we had a little chat to clarify exactly what it is that he meant it's a very awkward and phrased thing that I said on on Tuesday um, so to start with listen, let me let me start by apologising to you guys because you've ended up having to, to fight the fire there because of something I said and that, that's that's not a great, a great thing for me to have done, and I apologise. And you know, listen. I hope, I hope that um, you've managed to, you've managed to get through those, those various accusations and messages that you guys have been fighting on social media. We're all right, Neil. We've been um, around long enough. Don't you worry about us. <laughs> so wrong, exactly. Um, yeah, listen. I mean, I, I would also say it wasn't really, it wasn't a specific Goodison thing. It was nothing to do with oh, I want to win the Goodison. Listen. Anfield will get its moments with this league title. Anfield will get the league will be lifted at Anfield. Okay, so regardless of where they win the league, where where it's clinched, they will. Everyone will be able to see them lift the title at Anfield, and because it's not going to go to the final day. So my point is, I'd like, I would like to have seen it won away, because I think that 
you don't have that issue. You don't have that issue of, you know, Liverpool fans wringing their hands saying, do you know what, I've been to X, Y, Z games and I can't get to this one. And then you, you hear the stories of some guy who is not really a Liverpool fan, but he's a, he, he's bought a golden ticket. He's, he, you've seen it on StubHub, it's 10 grand and he's bought it. And you know what, why? He's available. He's able to do it. He's got the money to do it and he wants to do it and he's done it. And there you go. And then you've got a proportion of these people. I mean, listen, if you'd be, if we're being honest, it's quite a childish way of looking at it because it's looking at the negative side, not the positive side. And it's me sort of saying that would spoil it when it really, it wouldn't, it really wouldn't, you know, because there'd still be 45,000 people who are big Liverpool fans who are having the time of their life. But by the same token, I think that's less likely to be an issue at an away game whether it's Goodison, whether it's the Etihad, whether it's Watford or whatever, whatever else on the planet. And if I, if I could just further it out, which I didn't really, you know, it didn't come up in the, um, in the show that we were talking about. But one of the privileges of my job, and I have a lot of them, and I'm very lucky in the job that I do, I'm sure you'd agree with the job that you guys do. Yep. One of the privileges is following Liverpool anywhere and seeing the dedication and the passion and the joy that that brings, whether that's whether that's on pre-season in the Far East or in America, or whether it's in the Champions League in Salzburg or Naples, or whether it's in the Premier League in Norwich on Saturday or Bournemouth in midweek or wherever. And there is something really, really special, I think, about a big win and an important win, and sometimes a dramatic win away from home, which just adds a little bit of spice and it adds a little bit of joy. And I can remember, you know. I'm sure some of you guys were there. I can remember Liverpool winning at Chelsea and 15 minutes of just the Mane song constantly after the final whistle when they're, when they're waiting to leave the stadium. When you're locked in at Old Trafford and there's that celebration of, you know, half-time when Coutinho scores in the in the Europa League, for example. Those moments stick with me and they, they are something that gives me a lot of pride. and a, Sorry, not pride. A lot of pleasure and a lot of um, enjoyment and they are the moments that make me wish that I was in the away end and not in the press box. And so <laughs> I'm imagining I'm imagining a last minute winner. Let's say Goodison for argument's sake on this one. A last minute winner which not only wins the game at Goodison but also clinches the league title. And I'm thinking, wow, can you imagine the can you imagine the away end at that moment? And I think it's you get a greater concentration of people who are massive, dedicated, passionate Liverpool fans in an away end than you do in a in a, you know, a big game where you've got the, the issues that arise probably around the finals, you know, where you've got who deserved the tickets, who's who's missed out on a ticket. Did you were you able to get one? No, I wasn't able to get one. Have you heard about this fellow who's got one who's never been to a game before in his life? He's got one. And then you have those arguments and those problems. Just, I mean, to sort of expand the points a little bit further, it, it, we all know that, for instance, it's not as though everyone who's getting one for every away end, uh, and my, you know, I don't know how many ways I'll end up doing this season, but it definitely won't be all of them by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. is is paying, you know, is paying only 30 quid. I think that's an important yeah. point here, and I think it is sort of worth yeah. remembering. And, that, and in general as well, I think that there's, we sort of have this idea that, and I, what strikes me about Anfield, I always remember that 13, 14, um, I always remember around the, the running of 13, 14, something that John Gibbons said to me, which is that, you know, a lot of people were, there was a lot of tickets changing hands at Anfield uh, and for away games for a hell of a lot of money. And one of the things that Gibbo or one of Gibbo's mates said to him and he relayed was, you know, the idea of in 20 years time, someone asking you where, where you were and you won, when we won the league and saying, well, I wasn't there, but I got a new kitchen. 
But it is worth saying that the financial pressures are real for people. And I do think that, you know, when we get to closer and closer to whatever the D-Day is, or as we hope Chelsea at home, that I do think that the, the people will actually come under a fair bit of financial pressure between this thing where they could probably pay off all of next season's season tickets and more for a ticket for a certain away game or a certain home game, if we all want to be really honest about it. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and it's sad, isn't it? I mean, that's I, 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 one of the points I made to some of the people I was replying to, really, was football, football's expensive enough, isn't it? And, and not just in terms of money, but in terms of the, the emotional output that you have with it and this sort of... The, the, the hand ring and the dilemma of, you know, I had a, I had a good mate of mine who was thirty around the time of the Kiev final, and you know the tickets for that they weren't even touted tickets they were they were UEFA tickets for four hundred and five hundred quid, and he's you know he's weighing up to a do it and do it do it and I'm the same thing well you know it's it's sort of a memorable game it's a memorable time of your life anyway you know you could you could combine the two and it would be incredible but then you sort of you go and you get beat and you think, oh, you know, I've made him, he spent two grand there just mm. going to Kiev and he's, he's gone over and he's watched Loris Carrius throw the ball in and whatever else. And it is a difficult, it's a difficult thing to square, isn't it? And I, I appreciate, listen, what I'm asking for <laughs> deep down is, is a utopia, isn't it? Where everything is just perfect and you don't have these, these things to worry about and people are able to just afford what they are and if you can't afford or if they can't go, then they just give the ticket to the next the next person in line, and it's the same. And I know that doesn't happen, but I do think you, you've got a very good point that you're making. That you also you won't you'll also get the buying pressure, but you'll get the selling pressure as well. The people who will think, well, do you know what, I I can miss this, and I can earn myself an awful lot of money. And by the token, I know that there's someone who'll pay it as well. It's not a case of yeah. I'll see if I can get rid of this. You could you could put that on social media and your inbox would be full within what a minute mm. of people who are willing to pay X amount for a ticket. So yeah, it is it is a sad a sad product of football. And I think basically this is a cup final, isn't it? These two these two games that we're talking about, the game when Liverpool win the league and the game when Liverpool lift the trophy. These are cup finals and we get the same issues around cup finals when Liverpool get there that there's not enough tickets. There are people who are looking to profit from other people's desperation for tickets. And also, that there, are, there are people who are just able to buy tickets who probably shouldn't be able to because they're not really, they don't have the same dedication and passion and care for Liverpool or even football. They just want to be at an event. They want to buy a golden ticket and be in the stand and, you know, send a few pictures and say, look, you know, I've never been to a game before in my life, but here I am in the Champions League final or here I am the day Liverpool win the league. OK, uh, thank you very much to Neil. Uh, this is something we'll talk about in different ways across the next few weeks, um, The both this sort of specific sort of thing and a couple of things that come out of it, but also in general, uh, the difficulty around ticketing. Uh, and across this show as well, we've obviously uh, done a little thing on the Anfield Road uh, construction too, so you'll have heard already some of that. Uh, thanks to Neil, and we'll, uh, we'll move ourselves along. Hello, it's John Gibbons for The Weekender, and it's the Last Fan Standing quiz. And Last Fan Standing is a quiz app that you play on your phone, and it's all about testing your LFC knowledge. You can play every night at 7pm UK time if you want to get involved uh, that game's just for fun and just to play against people online to, to get uh, test your knowledge and get your ITK score up uh, but also every match day there's a predictor quiz where you predict what's going to happen in the game and you can win actual cash I know a lot of you subscribers have won money and have enjoyed all these Liverpool victories even more as a, as a result of it um, 
So we're going to have a little go at one of the quizzes. Uh, the guys at Last Fan Standing have provided us one to play with and join us on the phone to join in is uh, Akshay. Uh, Akshay. <laughs> Apologies, which one was it? The second one. Actually, I do apologize. I, I, I checked it with you. <laughs> I checked it with you just before we started, and then and then I completely went to bits when it when it mattered. But um, you calling us from Germany anyway, and you were just telling me uh, you live near Stuttgart, which is obviously uh, where Nat Phillips is knocking around at the moment. That is true. That is correct. I was watching the game the other day in DFL Pokal. He's, I, I mean, the Everton game was a miracle. He's nowhere good enough. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> but he'll always have he'll always have the Everton game. He'll always have that moment where he uh, yeah, knocked the blues sure. out of the cup. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, we'll get on with the quiz then because uh, I think you're going to do well. So one plenty of time. Uh, question one. This says uh, back from the winter break, so an easy one to warm up. Who wears the iconic number sixty six for the Reds? Is it Dejan Lovren or Trent Alexander Arnold? Alexander of course, you, if, if you don't even know it from from the mural that we did, of course, as well. If if not anything else, uh, sixty six on the back. Uh, okay, talking to shirts, who will be supplying Liverpool shirts next season? Is it Nike or New Balance? It would be Nike. Yeah, moving to Nike next season. Uh, hopeful of a of a nice kit from them in the summer. Um, Takumi Minamino got the number eighteen shirt when he was transferred from Salzburg. What was the report of the transfer fee? Was it nine point five million or seven point two five million? Seven point two five million. Correct. I, I'm, I wasn't sure on that one. I knew it was around there, but I would have had to guess. But uh, you've nailed it actually so well. In number four, did Naby Keita and Sadio Mane also play for Salzburg? Is that true or false? That is true. It is true. Flying. Uh, see, I told you it'd be good. Uh, Salzburg were in Liverpool's Champions League group. Uh, the Reds won the first leg 4-3. Uh, which of these players did not score? Mane, Firmino or Salah? So I'll read that again because I think I've confused myself. Salzburg were in Liverpool's Champions League group. The Reds won the first leg 4-3. Which of these players did not score? Mane, Firmino or Salah? It is Firmino. He oh. hasn't scored it yet. Did, has he? Yeah, tell you what, I tell you what, you, you need to be hosting the Anfield right? mate. You're having, <laughs> I tell you, absolutely well better than I would be. Uh, anyway, heading into the knockout rounds, uh, how many goals did Liverpool score in the knockout rounds and final last year? Uh, that's tough, isn't it? Uh, so we play Bayern, Porto, Barcelona, and Spurs. Is it 13, 14, or 15? Bayern, Porto, Barcelona, and Spurs. Yeah, how many goals in total? 13, 14, or 15? Can you give me two minutes? I. I... Fifteen. It is correct. You, you asked for two minutes. I thought I'm not quite sure I'm going to give it that long, but uh, you are much quicker. Uh, Fifteen uh, is correct. Fantastic maths as well from Askey. Uh, next up, Atletico Madrid. Which one of these former Liverpool players also played for Atletico Madrid? Was it Pepe Reina, Luis Garcia, or Xabi Alonso? Garcia. It is flying. Number eight. Liverpool have won two Champions League titles on penalty shootouts. One against Milan in 2005. The other was against who? Was it Real Madrid, Roma or Bruges? Oh, Real Madrid was 1-0. Roma? Roma, correct. 84. Bruce Gobelar with the spaghetti legs. Uh, fantastic. We also beat Bruges at Wembley in 78. Uh, so this is number nine. I'm not sure we've got this far with anyone. Um, so let's keep going. In the 2000 final, 2005 final against AC Milan, who scored the first penalty in the shootout for Liverpool? Was it Gerard, Haman, or Cissé? 
It was Haman. It was Haman with the broken foot. Uh, it transpired as well, but he absolutely nailed it. Okay, very last one. This is get to the end. No one's managed it. Uh, number 10. In what year did Liverpool win their first European trophy? Was it 1973, 1976 or 1977? 1977. No, it was 73. Uh, so 77 was the first European Cup, uh, but we won the UEFA Cup in 1973. So it was, a, it was a tricky question. You might have got it had it been written down, but uh, the first European trophy... Uh, I should have stressed yeah, that true. more. That is my. F- I- I'll take. I'll oh. take a hit on that. But but nine, I say, is um, top of the leaderboard um, that we haven't done. But I'm convinced it is top. Um, is, so congratulations. So God, I have heard people go to seven, so I was convinced. <laughs> I, I didn't know there were questions after eight, to be <laughs> I know. Well, there's only eight on the app, uh, but, but they give exactly. us ten, and it's a good yeah. job because you uh, you smashed few eight, so congratulations. Uh, well done. Um, just finally, before we go, mate, uh, how much are you enjoying watching this Liverpool team at the moment? Uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I had nice words about it by the beginning of Jan. Now I'm just speechless. It's, it's just... I don't know what to say. This is unparalleled. Yeah, it's it's absolutely unreal. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that is like this. It it just doesn't get better than this. So <laughs> just go on the ride and say nothing about it. Just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. Okay, huge thanks for actually for joining us. It was nice to speak to him all the way from thanks Germany. And uh, yeah, enjoy the app. Enjoy playing. Uh, it's myself doing the predict the quiz on Saturday. So get involved in oh, that. Wonderful. And- that- Perfect. <laughs> in the Everyman Bar, overlooking Hope Street with Molly Taylor, who is pulling together a play called Raw. And I say pulling together a play called, play called Raw because this is not a play that you've written. Molly, that's not how this works. What you look to do is work with groups of people to get them going. But what's the play actually about? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I won't know yet. Um, I suppose the play, I suppose the process is about trying to kind of harness stories from the city that are kind of coming from the ground up. So rather than me invent a fiction that I can put on stage about the experience of football fans, getting football fans who are the experts in what they do, um, to essentially tell me their story. So it's about football supporting first and foremost. It's about football supporting uh, from across Merseyside. So we've got um, people who support Tranmere, Liverpool and Everton. And also we're looking to find fans who are going to City of Liverpool and Lower Breck FC and um, some of the non-league teams because it's about the physical act of being there and watching football is the thing that I kind of want to tap into. The physical act of being there and watching football is, is something, well, firstly, it's something that we do, but also it's secondly something which is, it's broader and broader and wiser than, as you say, than just the idea of, of fandom itself. What you're looking for is the activity, the action, the idea of what happens when you turn up, not just the idea of what happens when you're passive. Exactly, yes. And also what it means to be there because it's so much more. Someone said to me last night in a workshop, actually the idea of watching 11 men or 22 men kick a football around is almost secondary. It's almost kind of like the thing apart. What you're there for often is because uh, you're obsessive uh, or you are uh, compulsive or because your mates are there or because your dad took you 48 years ago. So every football fan, when they're there on a on, on a seat or on a terrace, they kind of carry with them kind of decades of, of kind of stories. Like they they, yeah. they they every fan holds a legacy in them, and I suppose it's about for me peeling back those stories to get into the what the real human question of what prompts people to commit to this painful experience for the, for for most of them for their whole lives. Well, 
when you're looking to work with people then and you're looking to work with as many people as possible from what I can gather you're looking for for people to come and be part of this process it is part of being a process it's not the idea of coming in and either feeling as though you, there's a responsibility on people to, to drive the process or anything like that you just want people to come and speak to others including you and yeah. just sort of see what's there yeah and, and contribute I suppose to making um, a piece of art from scratch which um, it, for me it always feels like uh, quite a daunting prospect but also quite exciting because we they turn up with a blank page and I want those pages to be filled with their voices, their concerns, their feelings, their kind of... Because fans are also... Fans are getting... Fans get battered a lot. Um, and I don't just mean the act of, like, watching a team, if your team is struggling, but just access to the game. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of political conversations around that, I think, that we want to, that we want to include as well. All of this, then, is starting you're working with people now to be honest with you it started uh started i'm here with you on a tuesday it started last night you did uh, you had our first workshop last night yeah you your first workshop last night how did it go yeah it went really well we had a really great mixture of blues reds and one very special female tranmere fan who turned <laughs> up and um we spend a lot of time we, we obviously talk a lot about football but also they do creative tasks um and we do be some writing, some storytelling. The thing about football fans is because they hold everything on the tip of their tongue because they are experts in this. And so actually all it takes is like a t a one question to tease out almost like a whole life story. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we'll be asking fans to come to workshops. Doesn't matter which team they support, but they need to go there physically and go and watch the team. And we'll be hosting fortnightly workshops basically from now on. And um, what well, do you want to run people through those dates? Yeah, so the next ones are Monday the 17th of February and Tuesday the 18th. Yeah. We're doing Monday and Tuesday nights in the first instance. People can choose which one they want to go to. And then again on the 2nd and 3rd of March. Then again on the 16th and 17th of March, the 30th and the 31st. And then we're going to drop to just one a week. So from the 27th of April, that's a Monday night. The following will be the 14th of April. And then we're going to get into um, more intensive rehearsals in May because the Everyman are giving us their main stage to put mm -hmm. this show on, which is dead exciting. We're not going to be in a tiny little room or a studio. Uh, there's 400 seats in this space. And God, God knows if we will fill it. <laughs> um, but um, what's really special is that hopefully the community, the company, who, some of whom I've yet to meet, some of whom I have already met, will be taking over this theatre in June when the performance is on the 11th and 12th and 13th. And I really hope it's going to be a really... I hope it'll just be a really powerful document of the city and the people in the city. It's, lastly, uh, for people to find out more information, it's everymanplayhouse.com forward slash raw. It is. For people, raw, raw is R-O-A. Are, yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the it's the roar of a crowd. Yes, rather than the uh, the rawness of meat. Yes, and if they want to find out more or ask us a question, there is an email address that can contact us, which is raw r o a r at everymanplayhouse.com and they can just get in touch and say what on earth are you doing? Uh, and you're doing it in a massive space, which must be unbelievably exciting for you personally. Oh, it's massive for me because I did I did work experience here when I was 15 years old. You nervous? So. Oh, I mean, I was awake at. Midnight and 4am and 6am mm. going, already making the show in my head. It just takes a conversation. So you've got more workshops. I know, <laughs> I know. But, you know, but someone, tell, someone can tell me a story or there's a moment or there's an image that they kind of describe. And it's just got so much rich, rich texture to it. And it tells me so much about, about who they are and about what this city is and what fanaticism is. And, and I already start writing it. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to hold my horses. You're going to have to just calm down. At least do two or three workshops. <laughs> Get more of them in. Yeah. Tell people about it. I think that's the main thing. It isn't just, you don't just want Liverpool supporters. I think this is a really important point yeah. that you're trying to drive at. You want people who are going to any any level of football, down to and including just stuff on parks. But that level, that's what you want. You want those people to feel as if they can come as well. Yeah, of course, yeah. I want it to be, I want it to, you know, we get we get kind of, we're very lucky that we've got two um, famous and, 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 and tremendous football teams and Premier League teams. But there are, for every one of them there's like six other teams that where people are turning up and we're also noticing that fans are opting to turn up and watch low league and non-league teams because they simply can't get into the fortresses of Goodison and Anfield and so um, for us that's a really interesting story about how you access football when essentially the, you know the, the odds are against you okay uh, everything that you need is everymanplayhouse.com forward slash raw r-o-a-r uh, everymanplayhouse.com forward slash raw we'll tweet that out uh, as well so you can be able to see it on our Twitter and all the obvious places I'll make sure to do it myself too uh, and you can come you can check out what Molly's up to uh, and you can contribute to it and that should be very very exciting indeed and then we can all go to the show 11th 12th and 13th of June get that in your diaries as well um, it's lovely in the it's lovely in the everyman everyone's chilled out everyone's having a great time come down as ever a pleasure to be joined by Michael Bailey of The Athletic uh, The Athletic partnering with the Amphi Rap this year very pleased to be part of that partnership uh, you can sign up uh, via us it's theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Amphi Rap to be able to do that uh, Michael writes about Norwich uh, quite regularly uh, very regularly it's fair to say uh, Michael and one of the things that you're writing about, and I wanted to ask you this quite directly, really, is whether or not it's a li- almost a little philosophical, but does the manager, do the players, different players may have different views. Do they feel as though they're given a good account of themselves this season? So many games have been close recently. Do they feel as though they're given a good account of themselves in the Premier League or a few still living with a few regrets? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think, I think well, it probably depends on who you speak to. I think a lot of them... A lot of them are probably pleased with you. You're right that the team is playing well, and to be honest, a lot of them will still feel that they can get out of the situation. So they'll mm. probably still feel they're good enough to to survive. So um, I think they 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 do in general. Obviously, I'm talking about the ones who are playing regularly. There'll mm. be some who have sort of dipped out and here there during the course of the season. But I think uh, I think they really appreciate how Daniel Farker has been with them. The fact they haven't really deviated from what they're doing. And I remember Tim Krull after the Newcastle game, um, just before Norwich's break, uh, said we're doing the plan to a T. We haven't got to the point where it's not working and players are going off and doing their own things. We are still playing exactly how the manager wants us to do. And we are doing it to a T. So um, they all trust in that. And I think they feel that it's given them a framework to show what they can do. It's just the such the finest margins probably in both boxes that have cost them, you know, at least enough points to put them much closer to the uh, survival pack. So, um, yeah, I think for now, they're probably uh, it's probably hard to get away from the fact that the table doesn't look great. But I, I think they'll probably still feel they've got enough in, in them to to maybe cause a surprise by the end of the season. And I think there is there is pride in how Norwich have gone about it. Yes. There's you mentioned there the after the Newcastle game. The Newcastle game is a fascinating game of football, and that Newcastle really take the point against Norwich, and that might surprise people. It certainly surprised some Newcastle supporters. I suspect that they took the point the way in which they did. Norwich, if anyone deserves all three that day, it is Norwich. That's not the first and only time you can say that across the course of this season, and, and when they don't get them. But that is the case, isn't it? You know, the, the, Norwich were very much the aggressors. They were the better side. They were the, the side that pressed more, that showed more when they went to St James's Park. But it finishes nil nil. 
Exactly. And, and to be honest, if we go back to Anfield at the start of the season, <laughs> that's what Norwich did then. They have very rarely done anything differently. Uh, probably the, the only time they have is when Manchester City came to Carrow Road and Norwich, one of the few times they did, um, they did sit back. They were happy to let Manchester City have the ball and then they hit them on the counter. So it will be quite interesting how Norwich um, approach things on Saturday. But yeah, Newcastle, as they've done away from home and at home, they've They've generally been very good at, um, certainly from the off, trying to grab the game and, and do what they want to in the game. Then the problem comes with how the game is managed. Certainly once we get into the second half, um, Norwich kind of keep doing what they're doing. And you sometimes sense at this level, Premier League uh, managers and coaches, they're very savvy and they will they will change things. And Norwich has sometimes been a little bit slow to react to that or to at least continue to um, to to do what they want to. And, and it's in those moments where you know, Norwich will huff and puff for 20 minutes, create some chances, not score. And then maybe the opposition do do score with one of their handful of chances that, uh, that it decides a level, uh, it decides the game in, in the Premier League. And, and sometimes Norwich just even been ahead in that situation and, and still then given away points. So I think there's, there's real frustration there, but they, they've never deviated from doing things how they've, how they've wanted to go about it. And I mean, in fairness, Newcastle, maybe that Newcastle game is a game Norwich would have lost earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, I think at this stage in the season, it would have been desperate for Norwich to have got three points from that game. And that, that was a, a big blow, really. On the, the a couple of the individuals, as mentioned before, he's not been amongst the goals particularly, uh, Buendia. But so much of his all-around game is absolutely fascinating. He's, he's he's remarkably unconventional considering the fact that he plays wide in a four-two-three-one. He's not about getting to the box. That's Cantwell. He's not about touches in the penalty area. That's Cantwell and Pookie. He's all about keeping play ticking over, and he's all about winning it back. That's something to keep our eye out, isn't it? In this this one coming up this weekend, how Buendia looks to press Liverpool because he's arguably Norwich's most aggressive player on top of his technical gifts. Yes, and that was that was crucial last season. I mean, he. He was so important to them winning the ball high up the pitch and then just just going again. I mean, he he, he won several games by himself, really, by doing that. And he, he was one of the, the top tacklers in the entire championship, <laughs> which for a, for a number 10 in the role or sort of a number 10 and a playmaker mm. in, the, in the role he plays is, is fairly ridiculous. So I think... Um, he is very important. Norwich have found that harder to achieve in the Premier League, but but Emmy has still done it. I think since he's been back in the team from sort of November onwards, I would say he's been uh, probably one of the best players in the division, to be brutally honest. I know he hasn't scored. He's had a few chances. It's probably the one shortfall. But when you start watching the clips of the the balls that he plays through to Tame Buki and how he creates chances um, more than almost anyone other than I think uh, Trent and Kevin De Bruyne. He, he, you're looking at a player that is destined to stay in the Premier League regardless of what happens to Norwich. And, and the question will probably be what sort of club comes in and wants to pick him up and how much they're going to pay for him. He, he has some shortcomings and he's very young still and he's got so much to learn. But I think it, most Norwich fans see it as a privilege that even in what's been a really difficult season, they've got to watch him um, really come to the fore. It's what I certainly was desperate to see at the start of the season. I was a little bit surprised it took until November time, but I think he's now where where he is and where we expected. Uh, the only interesting thing is he he did pick up a, a quad injury before the Newcastle game, a week or two before that. So he came on against Newcastle and looked a bit rusty. I think the break probably came at a decent time, but it'll be interesting whether he starts against Liverpool or in what sort of condition he is. 
Another player who came into the season with a lot of talk, and at least from me, uh, was Jamal Lewis, who finds himself now behind Byram in the pecking order. It's fair to say that is that as much about Byram impressing as it is about Lewis dropping off, or is there an injury or something else has gone on? Yeah, so there was um, there was there were sort of injury niggles that were coming around at November time, and I would say October November was was as bad as Norwich have been all season. It was their injury crisis was really yeah. biting, and they were in a really dark place, to be honest. And Watford um, was, I think, that was Jamal's last start in terms of an, of his actual run. I think he then started against Spurs over Christmas and did very well. Um, but that was Watford's first win of the season back then at Carrow Road. And um, I think Jamal started the season really well, then just sort of started losing his form and was struggling a bit. And obviously the injuries and things were coming in. And Daniel's been really loyal to Sam Byram, who has done very well. I think in the last few weeks, it's, I've started to notice that he is playing on his wrong side. And there's been a couple of times where that's possibly shown a little bit, um, but he's still doing very well. Um, he is um, incredibly consistent. He still provides an attacking threat whilst probably being a bit better defensively. Um, Jamal's an interesting one. Norwich have recruited Sam McCallum, which some Liverpool fans may be aware of because he has been linked with Liverpool um, and I know they were interested in him. He's um, at Coventry and he'll stay at Coventry for the rest of the season on loan, but he will join up with Norwich come the summer. And as a sort of a natural left back, you, you look at that and think, well, is that cover or what will happen to Jamal in the summer? Because again, mm. he's a full Northern Ireland international, but um, he is unlucky not to be playing at the moment. He played in the FA Cup. He looked, he looked good. I think he's keeping himself in good nick and I think he's just waiting for a chance now. And it's just a question of when that will happen because Daniel Farker does seem quite content with how Jamal, uh, with how Sam Byram and then Max Aaron's on the right are, are doing. The last little thing that you mentioned, the FA Cup, it's interesting that Norwich have got themselves to the fifth round, got an away game against Tottenham in the fifth round. There is a little thing here, isn't there, that Norwich are, could be oddly dangerous in this FA Cup to sides like Tottenham, who've got their interests and will be looking to rest people maybe. But it could actually get to the point that when that game comes around from a Norwich point of view, you may be able to think, well, you know what, we can, we may as well just have a good go at this given everything else that's going on. Yeah, quite possibly. It's a it's a really interesting one that, and I think it it won't really be on everyone's radars. I mean, Norwich have been changing the team considerably for the FA Cup too. So um, Michael McGovern's been playing been playing in goal and mm-hmm. things like that. So it will be quite interesting when we get to Spurs fifth round how much Daniel uh, opts not to do that. And the fifth round is going to be quite interesting as well, because of course it's now in a midweek, yep. um, which is uh, sort of uh, taking it secondary to the Premier League really, which is a shame. But I mean, Norwich haven't, uh, I think this was only the second time in eight years Norwich have actually won a game in the FA Cup. So it's kind of uncharted territory for recent seasons. And uh, it will be great at the, at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think Norwich have got a 9,000 allocation. They'll, They'll do, make a good job of filling that, I think, and that will be a special um, atmosphere in itself because you don't get an allocation like that at a, a top ground very often. So um, it's something that's there, and I think once it comes around, everyone will get very excited. And Norwich, I think everyone has seen Norwich play. When Norwich get it right, and they've proven this, they can beat anyone in the division, and I yeah. do include Liverpool in that. Absolutely, if Liverpool yeah. are, are complacent or... Um, they just don't take it properly and Norwich get themselves ahead and the whole dynamic of the game is very different but of course we're dealing with the realities and we all know how good the team is that uh, that's going to be rocking up at Carrow Road and there'll be a few people who'll just be very interested to see to see Liverpool close up. Uh, give me a prediction how you see the game going. 
Well, I think realistically, it will probably be something quite similar to at Anfield earlier in the season. I, I think Liverpool's firepower, especially on the counter, uh, is just so lethal that Norwich will try and be on the front foot of Carrow Road, but I think they'll get undone. So uh, probably a 3-1 defeat. Let's say Norwich will score and then they can uh, concentrate on their survival battle against other teams. Excellent stuff. Thanks so much to Michael. Uh, do sign up to The Athletic if you have the opportunity to do so. Uh, it is a very much worth a read. Full stop right the way across the whole division and indeed across Europe as well on the football side. Uh, let's get back over to everybody else. Brilliant there from Michael Bailey. Always a pleasure to speak to him. Uh, loads of fantastic writing he does as well. Uh, do check it out on The Athletic if you get the opportunity to do so. Liverpool go off to Carrow Road, John, to, to face an Norwich side, as Michael says, where results are just going against them, but performances just aren't quite that bad. But there's a flip side of that, which is that performances just aren't quite good enough. Uh, and it's it's it must be a frustrating uh, run of games for, for to be a Norwich supporter uh, through, uh, to walk away quite consistently, mildly impressed with your team, but no, ultimately... There's this thing on the horizon. It is going to happen. They're going to be playing championship football next year. Yeah, season. and it is a real shame. And I noticed you retweeted something from The Athletic recently, which was a conversation that basically surmised that a good team's going to go down this season. I would argue three good teams are going to go down. Couldn't I agree more. I don't think there's a, there's a bad side in the league, and that's symbolised by Norwich. You were not just bottom, but adrift at bottom. But every time I see them play, you know, I'm impressed by individual players and collectively sort of how, how they're set up. It's just... And, and, you know, everyone says, oh, the bottom, you need the goal scorer and they've got one. And then it, it's still not sort of happening for them. They just they just seem to obviously, you know, end up getting beat by the odd goal in three. Or I think defensively, I know they've struggled to, to, to have a, a consistent back four. And I think that's sort of hurt them because you see that, you know, even at Liverpool's level, really, you know, we, we defend so much better. You know, now we've got our, our main back four there. Now we're keeping the clean sheets, aren't we? Whereas earlier in the season, you know, our defence record wasn't bad, but we were, we were conceding goals each game. And so... So yeah, I think I think that's kind of hurt them a little bit, you know, throughout the year. I think injuries in key positions has hurt them, and and, and as I say, it's hurt the, the kind of consistency and just sort of conceding soft goals and conceding every time the opposition has a bit of pressure. You know, you know, you you never you never say, oh, you know. Well, they threw a lot of Norwich there for 10 minutes, but they came out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that never happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you throw something at Norwich and, and it goes in. And I think I think that's the that's the problem, really, for them. And, and it's a shame. And I've enjoyed watching them. And I think uh, at least two or three lads will, will get a decent move on, on, on the back of it. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it does look uh, like they are going to go. It's it's one where Andy came up as champions, but they didn't invest very much money. And it's worth bearing that in mind. You know, they've, I think they've very much seen... To played this as let's see what happens next rather than made a big bold sort of Aston Villa or more accurately Fulham of last season we're throwing a fortune at this and seeing if we can get somewhere move I think in, in, in long term it may well stand the club in good stead it's just one of them really where sometimes I just feel a bit sorry for supporters who've then got to go through this season watch this side as I say it's a good side but it, you, you want to see victories and Norwich have only won 4 out of 25 well, What John was saying there about some players who get a move you do wonder whether because the way the club sets up whether they try and retain as much as they can and then take this as a learning experience, go back down again, get re-promoted and have that learning. Because as has been said, they've not played badly at all. I've been, I've been impressed with them and surprised that the bottom and the, the bottom by a bit. Um, I think the, uh, to be honest, I think it shows the importance of having a good, and I, I know I bang this drum every week, the importance of having a good goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, especially they let him more than they should yeah especially when you're back four chopping and changing through to injury or th- things like that. You just need a, a leader in there. Um, but no, it'd be sad. And the mad thing is, as well, I mean, Liverpool always comes first. But you feel that if Liverpool 
if Liverpool get a result there at the weekend, you think that that's it for them then? I mean, that that's pretty much done for them. But um, I like the manager as well. I like, I like the way he's, he stayed true to how he plays, tries to do things the right way. And hopefully, as I said, if they go, if they go down, they can retain what they've got and then come back stronger. Funny one on Villa. You mentioned Villa there and the spending. Didn't they spend more than any other club? Did I, I read something the other day, but their net spend over the last... Over the, the net club, may well be more than... Of course, someone was more than anyone else. May well be more, yeah. It's, it's very, very competitive. Uh, yeah. Whereas Norwich, <laughs> Norwich's is very, very small because they didn't have any assets to sell. Uh, it's one of them, really, where they were throwing the money. So, for instance, United sell Lukaku. So they yeah. spend a lot of money, but they sell Lukaku for 70-odd million. Villa had no assets to so sell. what I'm saying with success yeah. being relative. Yeah, it, very so, much so, yeah. Do you, you know, who's had the most... I know it sounds, mad, it sounds crackers when Norwich are more likely to go down a bottom position, but who's had the most successful season? Yep. Yeah. From um, where they were. Long, yeah. Uh, Lizzie, just, we've got, you know, from the manager's point of view, our manager, not theirs. Although from theirs as well, they've both got something big to point at, which is the result against Manchester City. And I think it tells you that firstly, Norwich don't need to fear anyone on their own ground. Uh, but the flip side of that is, I'd expect, therefore, Liverpool to be pretty responsible and to take Norwich as seriously as they've taken every opponent this season. Oh, I think they will do. I think they absolutely will do. I think the one thing going into this game for Liverpool is if this game was in the middle of about a six-game run, I wouldn't be thinking about it as much as I am now because we're off the back of a break. I think Liverpool do really well with momentum and I think we always see the first game after an international or whatever, we look a little bit, I don't know, like discombobulated is, the, is probably the best word. We always win, we're fine, but I, I think it's just natural. I think it's natural for any team to come back after a break and probably not look as sharp as they might have done. Um, I think Liverpool will be absolutely fine. They won't take them for granted. It's not just the Man City result, though. Like I've watched them once or twice. The, I watched the um, the Spurs game where they got a draw there. They mm-hmm. got a draw against Leicester. They got a draw against Arsenal. And OK, Arsenal are doing badly at the moment. They're in about 10th place. But they're getting results. And this is a team, I think, who will fight till the end. They can, they can score a couple of goals. Uh, I just I just think Liverpool will have far too much for them, especially with the style of football that they play. I think it'll suit Liverpool to the ground. I think it's an interesting one with selection, John. If this was coming uh, maybe even just simply after the Atletico game or, as Lizzie just referred to it, slap bang in the middle of a six-game run, it might be one where the manager might look at making three or four changes, but he loves rhythm. He talks about rhythm all the time. And I struggle, therefore, to see him deviating from the, the the eleven that settled in the last 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 few weeks. And it may well be that these lads are asked to go uh, go against um, go against Norwich, go against Atletico, and then there's the big break to West Ham. I don't see it being, I see it being at least ten of what you would have called his eleven that he's been playing for the last six weeks or so. Massively, I think rhythm's the key word there, and he'll have his eye on this Atletico game on Tuesday and think, who do I want to play in that game, and what's the best possible preparation for that game? And and I think he'll think that the best possible preparation, given the fact that they've just had this big rest, is a really good performance against Norwich, playing together, getting the rhythm going again, you know, getting used to being on the pitch together and things like that. I mean, I'm acting like it's been a month, you know what I mean? But it, but it is a decent gap, and as Lizzie, you know, rightly points out, there we haven't always kind of came back from the those gaps at the best and so I think you know we'll see this game you know it's it's not a gimme but it's bottom of the league do you know what I mean it's as if you want a nice warm up to a big Champions League tie it's about as nice as gift as you can get isn't it and so he'll, he, I would 
be shocked if it isn't at least 10 of the of the 11 that, he, that he's got his eye on for playing on, on Tuesday. All right, and so let's do it. It'll be uh, winner the goalkeeper, uh, best goalkeeper in the world. Um, Alexander-Arnold, Gomez, Van Dijk, Robertson. Up front, Salah, Firmino, Mane. Henderson, Wijnaldum. Are we thinking Mane's going to be fit? I, we, I think Mane will be fit. Uh, yeah. He looks like looks like to be fit. If Mane's not fit, we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, Henderson, Wijnaldum, one more. Who's the one more? Oxlade-Chamberlain, Lallana, Fabinho, or Keita to pick from. Possibly Milner. But I... I think you'll go with Oxley Chamberlain because I think one thing that's been a hallmark of Liverpool this season is they've been a little bit more pragmatic than what you might have expected. But with that Atletico Madrid on the horizon, I think you might see him put his foot down on this one. Uh, look to win it in the hour. Yeah, put your foot down, uh, not back off at 2 0, maybe try and rack one up or or even just have a dominant 2 0 or a dominant 3 0, just something to put a spring in the step going into Tuesday. Um, I don't think. Norwich offer that much. I know we've only kept one clean sheet there recently, as you were saying before, but I just think it's one of them, if, if you're looking to get come in on a long break, get in there early, get a nice, comfortable win, and get them bouncing out of Carroll Road. Like, Yeah. What do you think? Who do you think he goes for in midfield? It's hard. I think, if I'm thinking of it the same way as John, I think he wants... So I'm seeing it as like a two-game thing, and I think he wants Fabinho against Atletico. So at some point, Fabinho's on the pitch. I just don't know if it's for sixty or for thirty. I don't know. I don't know what he will do to prepare Fabinho because I think Fabinho is a starter for Atletico. So if he's doing it the way that John says, I would maybe see that he comes in and Oxley Chamberlain maybe does the last thirty. However, if we're looking at Norwich as just a one-off game, I think it makes more sense to do Oxley Chamberlain. I don't think you need uh, Henderson, Fabinho, and Genie all against Norwich away. Bottom of the table, I think get Henderson in that number six role. I think it worked perfectly for him. So he does talk about a game at a time. I think that's. I think that starting eleven we've seen is more likely with Fabinho doing about thirty minutes. Uh, Norwich concede a lot of chances in the ten minutes before the break, which is one of those things that I think happens to some sides that get promoted. John, you can mentally and physically keep it up for a period, and then it gets a bit loose. It makes me wonder if Liverpool might want to bounce into it. Who do you think he does? I think you pick Fabinho. I think you know I'm going to stick with my point. You know <laughs> that I've uh, that popped into my head ten minutes ago, and now now it's very you know obviously perfectly thought out. Um, yeah, I think he's. I think Fabinho needs games. I think I think he's looked rusty. I think you know he's he, he never quite happened for him in, in you know coming back in terms of you know before the break. And I think you know he he'll want a big big finish from Fabinho you know the league might might be in a fantastic position but he'll have his eye on this Champions League one as well and Fabinho is a massive player as far as that and I think he needs minutes and, a, and a plenty of them sooner rather than later so I think he starts with Fabinho and although I agree with the other guys that that makes it a slightly more defensive midfield than maybe you would normally pick if this is a one-off game I don't think you'll see it like that at all and Broxley Chamberlain starts if Mane is not 100% yeah correct uh, all right, then. Excellent stuff indeed. Uh, give me your predictions. Uh, Lizzie first. 3 um, 0 Liverpool. 3 0 Liverpool. 4 0. 4 0? 4 0 Liverpool. 4 0 Liverpool. I think 3 0 as well. 3 0 uh, across the board. Uh, I'm going to go with 2 if you're going to put the pressure on me. I think it'd be 2 0 to the Reds. Uh, a very professional 2 0 uh, where Liverpool stop on about the hour mark and Norwich maybe have a tiny little bit of a go and then are told, just don't do that, lads. It's, 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 it's in everyone's interests that we, all, <laughs> that we all shake hands at this stage of proceedings. But Stay listen, down. Yes, very much so. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much, everyone who's contributed to the show this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you very much to Lizzie, to Andy, and to John. Uh, Liverpool restart. This is the running. It starts now at Carrow Road. Sports Social Podcast Network.